Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. We are joined once again by everybody's favorite guest, Legal Man. Legal Man, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. That's great. You were way ahead of Get Your Home Gym Together, by the way. <laughs> I mean... They don't have any weights in Academy Sports. They bought all yeah. the weights and people bought all the guns. Bingley exactly. and my husband both said that to me in a span of 24 hours. Like, we got to get some weights. I need weights. <laughs> Sandbags and, and tree tree limbs. Yeah. I've got tires. I use tires and, and combinations of oh, weights. You, you flipping some tires out there? <laughs> I've got I've got a big tire. I flip. I've got another slightly smaller commercial size tire. I put a chain around it. I drag it around and push it and pull it and a bunch of different combinations. Uh, like, well, so, yeah, I've seen some of those those gems where you drive by them and it looks like they got those just massive mega truck tires. They're out there flipping over up and down the, the parking lot. They'll get you ripped. Yeah, it's. Uh, I like it. It's, it's a slightly different kind of – I've lifted for years. I just got burned out on that eccentric phase, that sort of phase where you go down and you're not really – that's where all the injury is and inflammation. Yeah. It's just difficult. So, But, yeah, 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 everybody needs to get their home gym because we're definitely going to go uh, more restrictions again, I'm sure. That would be impossible not to. And it seems to me, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, it could easily be, that basically everything that's happening to us from not going to the gyms to here out in California, the fires are keeping people indoors and keeping kind of a, a layer between you and your vitamin D. And these, you know, so much is really, they were just, I was just reading that they want to repurpose some of the refrigerated trucks in third world countries that bring people dairy and meat and use them for refrigerated vaccines. Oh I just God. feel like everything they're doing is actually making health worse. I'm a little worried about that. I'm worried about real health problems. Uh, wow. Incredible. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, I was listening to a recent show of yours about the media and you said something and the way you say, I don't know why it sounds so much more credible when you say it. And my mother's like, Ma, yes, you're crazy. You think everything's fake. Everything's fake to you. And then, of course, when Donald Trump starts saying fake news, now when I talk to my mom, that's fake news. Anyway, so but I have always you put it very well when you said there is basically every single thing they tell you kind of has to be fake because the truth would would unravel the whole scam. So I wanted I just wanted a little bit on that. And also, I feel the same way even about entertainment programming, like stuff that's just shows. I can't even watch anything that comes out on Netflix or Amazon Prime, even if they call it a documentary. I'm just like, I can't stand propaganda of any kind. And it's all propaganda. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> well, you know, as to the news portion of it and how they can never tell us the truth about anything, and it, it, that sort of shin bone connected to the ankle bone is, you know, the way people naturally, whatever they call it, waking up, I don't know if it's a great term. I'm not so sure I like it, but I use it too uh, because everybody knows about it. It's, you know, something triggers in people and they, 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 for some reason, a story or something, they have a personal connection to it or they have a reason. They start looking into it. And what happens is they start looking into it just like I did, you know, years and years ago. And you start realizing, well, hold it. The official story's kind of falling apart here. And you start digging more and more. And then you realize, what the hell? This is crap. And then that normally leads to 
another thing where you're while you're researching that you either think about something else or there's another reason or something comes up and you look into something else and that leads to something else and that leads to something else and it's sort of to me it's sort of the inverse of that which is the reason i can't tell you the truth about anything is because if they told you the truth about one of these things it wouldn't be in any way consistent with all the other crazy stuff that they lied about. And so people would be like, well, hold on, what? what? And that doesn't, that's not, doesn't make sense. And then that might actually set people off. But inevitably, you have to just tell this fantastic series of lies. It's, it's crazy now. Just I image is sort of a gigantic balancing act they're doing because there's so many lies and uh it's an environment of complete fabrication and fantasy and it's it's the entire environment is built on it so that when you peel back the the truth and you should you expose that truth about one little lie it doesn't damage that entire environment of fiction that has been created around it because it's so much broader and bigger than just the surface level lies. that actually reminds me of the stories they they say if you go back on the world trade center it was built as a kind of mesh network so that if a plane hit it the rest of the thing would not fall apart yeah and i think they do have some of that stuff in place because you can point out like that the Sarnayev brothers were being the uncle was in the CIA and they were being trained to be in the CIA and people are just inoculated from that to the point where like my mother used to be and now is when anything's like anti-Trump she now thinks there's fake news but not if it's anti-Trump and all, all that kind of stuff or that's <laughs> fake too you know like she just she's has it all cordoned off in her mind yeah. and and it's just taught it that just speaks to me about how there are these kind of acceptable thoughts and unacceptable thoughts. And I was thinking that I have, I used to live in Texas and I know really smart guy there, really smart guy. And he, when he listen, when I say stuff like this is so obviously crap, it's not true, whatever, he will laugh in my face. He's like, you just go too far. You're ridiculous. And I'm thinking, how can a really smart guy not, not you know understand how it's working and i wonder how you have in that you said it was whatever 20 years ago i don't know if it was 9 11 or what but something got you to open your mind to it what was that what gave you that epiphany which is so hard to get by because people pressure you not to regular people pressure you not to yeah they really do and and it's been so long that it's difficult for me to actually pinpoint because a lot of people do wonder was there a, a something and it was really more than that for me it was it, there definitely were some events and certainly 911 was there i but when i started reading wag the moon doggy uh that was another one that was very helpful but the reality was i had a very suspicious mind um, I have a need for things to make sense to me, and I don't really honestly care that much about people's motivations, if they're, quote, bad motivations or not. Most of the time, they don't matter that much to me as long as it makes sense. Like, oh, okay, that guy does that because he's a real piece of shit. It's like, oh, okay, that would make sense, and and then that's enough for me. But when I was growing up, there was no internet, and so I would literally look for things like I think I've joked about in the past. It's 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 true. Soldier of Fortune magazine and things like that actually had classified ads where you could get material, and I would send off for stuff. And I was always just nothing ever made sense. It just to me something fundamentally didn't sit right with what I was seeing and what I was being told, and. 
Of course, I never imagined the how tremendously fundamental the lies were, but I kind of started peeking it out in bits and pieces. And I came to a lot when the Internet came around and it took a couple of years really for them to load stuff on there. But I saw an awful lot of crookery in the legal practice. You know, I saw an awful lot of things that didn't make any sense with what I was being told and the way the system's supposed to work. And then by the time the Internet really kind of got up and moving, which was a good 20 years ago, 911 really was, I mean, after about six months, I, I really started wondering and just looking at the absurdity of the story of a plane hitting a building and then some office fires making the thing supposedly, quote, collapse, you know, that was – and then Dr. Judy Wood's book. Yeah. yeah, well, Dr. Judy Wood's book, you know, her book is just so – it's so amazing, really, when – because I can clearly remember seeing those guys walking around talking about, oh, yeah, bringing them coffee out there. And it's their their shoes are melting. They have to change them each day and all this crap. It's like, how can you stand around on something that's hot enough to melt steel shank shoes, which is just way hotter. It's way hotter than a grill. You couldn't just walk around out on a grill. You'd be cooked. You're dead. It doesn't work. And Yet they said that their shoes would it be they'd had melted. Oh, they'd melted this. And so it wasn't melting. And so that was kind of the very first really fundamental thing I realized, wow, I mean, <laughs> they can tell a really big lie and I can be fooled. Well, this and, is that brings up an interesting thing. Oh, I want you to finish your sentence and then I'll I mean, I'm just for me it was it was the realization that wow, the the scale of the lie that they can tell and that I can believe and be completely convinced is true was so startling to me at one point. I I don't remember if it was the Gulf of Tonkin. I don't remember if it was, you know, the, the, the wall coming down and all those uh, Verona documents that got released. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, it sort of coalesced around that 20-ish year time frame ago when I really started digging in on a, like, not going to say full-time basis, but so many hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a week I would spend on it. Well, I want to use that to leap into a really big thought that I've had lately and I wanted to get your thoughts on, although hopefully I can articulate it in a, in a way we can all grasp quickly. But when I think back at the, the narrative I've heard about bringing the vernacular to the Bible or the radio in the 20th century and then the internet, I feel like these big changes in media are always sold as being really democratizing. They're really meant to empower the people, inform the people, right? And of course, they're all, I think they're all scams. If you look at the vernacular was, it just destroyed the church in favor of the kings, I think. And the radio obviously was just a propaganda thing. And, and all this stuff does actually bring with it revelation and revolution it actually does inform the people and really destabilize society only to come on the other side like every revolution i can think of the american the russian the french where very quickly thereafter it's hijacked by a bigger better power 
who just puts the the power in either somebody else's hands or more concentrated. And I feel like that's where we're going here with this. But do you, so I kind of feel like that whole, they gave us the internet, they gave us even 9-11, not long after that, for, for half of us to really see, wow, this is super screwed up. And that in itself had us lose faith in a structure that was much more stable then than it is now. I mean, do you, can you see what I'm getting at? Like a more complex kind of plot. And is that... Yeah, I mean, do you, I you think I'm reading too much into it? I, I think I understand what you're saying. I think there's a there's definitely there's definitely more to it than what what certainly the people are told and what you can sort of just see on the surface. I think with regards to technological advances, one if you knew what you now know prior to the time of the technological advance that these things create these opportunities and or these possibilities that are much different than what the people are told. They, they, they offer an opportunity to create serious social change because of this disruption and the fact that people take a hard time to get used to it. If you know that ahead of time, like Brzezinski clearly did when he wrote his book in the 60s, whatever it was, The End of an Age, and, and he could see the technological sort of changes that were going to come and all the real possibilities for controlling the people. And I think that if you have that information like we do now, someone like you or me, Binkley, we understand this. Say there was another one that came along, right? A new technological revolution. All we have is the internet, whatever it might be. You'd be able to see at that point, you and I could see going forward, oh man, this thing's dangerous. It could lead to X, Y, and Z. And so we're stuck only looking back because we really didn't figure it out until after the most recent technological revolution. And I think if we had that information, say, about the... uh, Whatever it might be, the way they had the printing press changed things, if we understood the, the possibilities for that. When radio came out, then we would have been sitting around knowing that, wow, this is a dangerous uh, time. This is has a lot of opportunity for abuse. And so I, I do think that the people in charge behind the scenes, they know all that stuff. And they they plan for it. They use it. And that's why it rolls out the way it does each time always breaking against the people, quote, coincidentally, every single time, just always against the people. Yeah, they use it and they do anticipate and they do war game these scenarios out. We've heard them talk about that stuff in these panel discussions that we've gone through with the World Economic Forum and Brookings and CFR and all those other ones. 9-11, looking back on it, almost feels like the, the initial launch of crowdsourcing worldwide for skeptics as well as others, but after 9-11, that was almost like the first time that people all over the world who were skeptics could analyze an event and communicate with each other on that event through blogging, through you, when YouTube started, and then that information became discoverable. And so you could build on the knowledge that other skeptics had. And that likely was kind of anticipated because they did, they did have an idea of what the internet could do when they, they were developing it. And bringing those minds together almost feels like it could have been some sort of 100 flowers campaign, drawing out the skeptics and the information that the skeptics could build, build upon to see what stories they discovered or what stories they developed. And I think looking at the next wave of this technology, I think is 5G. I think is what it, the speed at which this information can travel and what can be done with 5G, I think is going to be this this next, this next breakthrough, or depending on how you look at it, uh, um, weapon 
that's that's coming out in the in the, in the information warfare. So what do we do with it, and uh, or how can we use it? How's it going to be used against us? Yeah, I, I, I agree that five G, the Internet of Things, is going to be a big yeah. deal. Um, it's really going to be a big deal. Uh, exactly how it's going to be used against us, I don't know. I honestly have not given it that much thought. But as to your previous point, I, I would definitely agree. And I've said for a long, long time, I, I did the vast majority of my sort of research more than 10 years ago, a lot closer to 15 years ago now. And I was saying at the time to people, I didn't have a voice outside of my friends and you know anybody I talked to is, man, you better do your research ASAP because they are loading into the internet so much disinformation and total bullshit with documents and fakery. And once a few years go by, see, if they unloaded a, a bogus document when I was doing it 15, 20 years ago, it was easy to trace. It's like, well, that's a load of crap. You can see that thing's new and it popped up and it wasn't in any of the previous sites and it would have been and whatever, yes, all these different I've reasons. Caught that, yeah. Right. But then now you look at something, it's been on the web for 15, 20 years. Okay. So if someone who's in their 20s now or 30s, you know, that's basically their entire usable life for all practical purposes. So it looks way more credible. And you have all these older sources that are total disinformation that have become believable, incredible, just because now they've been around so long, they've been used in a million different ways. And like all disinformation, it always has a lot of truth to it. And they just mix in a little bit of, of dog shit in, in there. And it's so hard to tell <laughs> yes. which part is which. And, uh, and, and in the beginning, it was way easier, just like it is now on a, on a sort of current event when it comes out, when you find the shill and, the, and the, the people pushing this official narrative nonsense. It's very easy to spot right away if you know what you're looking for. But for people 15 years from now, 20 years from now, it's going to be way harder to find because they will scrub out the legit stuff. They'll leave huge amounts of disinfo in there. And so research becomes more and more difficult every year. Um, and so I would say that's, to me, one of the main weapons they have is this ability that time always works in their favor because they have virtually unlimited resources, unlimited computing power, unlimited access to all these things. And so they can just flood the market and whatever happens to stick, they keep pushing that, they amplify that and what, and the stuff that's good, they keep minimizing, minimizing, minimizing. And over time, the stuff just disappears and I think that very slow death by a thousand cut system is something they use all the time. I, I give people this this sort of thought experiment all the time, which is imagine that when you from the time you were born, you never ever had to consider the idea that you might have to make a living. And you know, just think how different your world would be if everybody you were raised around, they weren't ever thinking about, well, how are you going to get a job? What are you going to do? How are you going to make? That was no part of your life because your family wealth and all these connections were so incredibly huge. It's so much money and access to it. You're never going to be able to spend it in 50 lifetimes. You're, you, the way you approach your life and the kinds of things you would consider doing and the things that would open up to you. They're just totally different than someone like me who just, you know, I had to get out. I had to earn my way through college and law school. I'm just trying to scramble around, pay my debts off. I mean, I'm so bombarded by just trying to make a living. It took me the first 15 years of being an adult to even have any kind of time at all to start looking into it in a serious fashion. And those people have been raised from the time they're little, generation after generation, who's never had to consider, how am I going to make a living?
And that would explain why they're, why they're true believers in right. that they don't have to see the rubber hit the road. It never they really never comes do. to that. They don't, ex- they don't even interact with people like that. Uh, there was a hilarious song I maybe 10 years ago, I Want to Sleep with Common People. It was such a funny song. It was very popular for a while. And it's just, I always think about it. It's just these people they have, they live in a totally different world. And everything's relative. You know, if you meet somebody in some shack in Bangalore, they're, they're perfectly content. If they could get, you know, some fancy meal once a month or something, they'd feel like they were living like a king and everybody adjusts to whatever world they're presented. And those super rich people, I think they get much higher tendency to be twisted off just from the fact that it's distorting to, to be raised in an environment like that, where you just have servants everywhere. I mean, you don't you don't think about it. You just have servants everywhere. People have you are you get servants, and you know I've never had a servant. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and why I feel comfortable. People, that's why I think people don't believe the way that that those people who are who right. live in such a different world act because they those those elites and those people they use are their propaganda to make everybody else think that they're just like us. So just like people us. aren't even aware of that world <laughs> to a certain extent. I was in a commercial years ago where the director came in and every five minutes he's just throwing money at somebody to go get the most minuscule unnecessary thing it was unbelievable how much money was just being wasted i'd never seen anything like it before but that's the world that he grew up in but to your point on the age of stuff on the internet giving credibility to it that's a technique that is documented in the cia training manuals oss training manuals psychological warfare training manuals one of the tools that they use is forged documents documents that look official that are leaked that that is a strategy for disinformation that they train their agents to use that in the use of Rumor and propaganda. So all of these things are tools and weapons just by the looking official, like Edward Bernays would say, call me doctor because it makes me more credible. Make it look like a CIA document leaked from some you know source who's hidden right. and lends it credibility. Right. And once it's been sitting around and cited countless times, you know, by their other disinformation agents who pass it around for years and then legit people pick it up and they're confused by it. And they, I mean it's just become so difficult to untangle. I, I go back all the time to this, this, the Barack Obama birth certificate. When we were living through that, I was telling people, look, you are now living through one of the simplest possible ones to identify, which is this is an altered PDF document. Where the guy was born, I have no idea. How can we know it's an altered PDF document? We can't it do any so research. It was so obvious. I don't even get that. Well, and they the, call it racist, well, so, so nobody will talk about it. And this is, the, and that was always my point: is that all that's going to happen in the future is this is going to be a footnote, and it's just going to be that some racist didn't want a black president, so they accused him of, of not having a birth certificate. That's it. That's that's all the story's ever going to be. But anybody who lived through it as an adult could see how it was breaking out. That there's this clearly an altered PDF document they simply refused to examine, bring forward. But anybody on the internet could pull the document up that was posted by the uh, government. I his a document. <laughs> I interviewed for a radio job at that time. And I brought that up like I, my thing was like I was alternative. And I said, well, I mean, it's known that this guy's <laughs> birth certificate was altered. And I mean, I was basically just hustled out the door. You're crazy, whatever. I'm like, but I'm not crazy. Like, that's on the thing. Like, I, you know, whatever. I think everything's a conspiracy. But this I can prove to you right here, right now. There's and nothing to it. it. 
Right. You just look it. the thing up as a PDF document and you can just see how it was. But people don't want to hear it. And that's that's the main impediment to to there's a there's a guru i get a big kick out of the guy his name's Sadguru, but uh, <laughs> uh he he says a lot of funny stuff he's really really clever and uh one of the things he says that i really really like was he says it's not difficult to wake somebody who's sleeping it's very easy actually you go over and you touch them and they wake up right yes he says the problem is it's very difficult to wake someone who's pretending to sleep and, you know, you go over and you bump them and they're, uh, they roll over. They act yeah. like there's, oh, you sit them up, they still fall over. You kind of, you know, weaken with Bernie's style. Oh, no, I didn't know. I'm still, I was still asleep. That's the way most people are. They're, they're not actually asleep. They know there's something very wrong and they don't want to wake up. So they just pretend to keep sleeping. And it's, it's basically impossible to wake someone up who's pretending to sleep. Because they're well, pretending. Let me ask you about <laughs> it's this. It's like an addiction. They have to want yes. to really wake up. Too scary. So, right. Here's something that really puzzles me a lot is I talk to people, let's say my mom, who like Trump and they think that he's different. And then mm -hmm. he says stuff is fake and they believe that. <laughs> right. But then they believe him and they think, you know, trust the plan. And the I cannot distinguish maybe there is no distinction i don't know but i can't distinguish between the people who I, I almost kind of feel like they're all operatives i'm like how can you really believe it you know but my mom is not an operative right. how is it that people like alternative you know people who th who think they think outside the box are just thinking inside a different box i mean are they do you think that there's a whole uh there's a, a kind of side stream media like the mainstream media, they all just read from their script. Is there a side stream media that is also reading from a script? Or are they just people who are casting about for the truth and got misled or both? Yeah. It's Probably really both. so hard. It's such an interesting to me. That's just I've spent so much time talking to my friends about it and thinking about how does this possible? How can somebody who can see certain kinds of things that are clearly lies and just clearly made up? but then fall for the exact same kind of scam in another kind of set of facts, just like these people who continue to believe that Trump is on our side, no matter how much evidence presented. Four and trillion dollar deficit. I, he's These pushing for the vaccine. He's getting the military <laughs> involved. This is insanity. He won't. He won't rescind the national emergency. It's, it's just. It's endless amounts of facts that you can put forth. They make no difference to people because ultimately it's always the same. When you push them too hard, they just say, "Well, it's still better than Biden. Still the best choice." What would you no, do? They, they just, that's they, not they true. Just, they don't know. No, no. I mean, it's not true that it would be better than Biden. If Biden yeah, were there, all different. those people would be at the mall with me, <laughs> you know, raising hell. That's right. Nobody would put up with it. But, you know, I mean, you can't argue with people who they, they don't want to face facts. And it's 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 very frustrating, I think, certainly to it used to be extremely frustrating to me. And I, I sort of vacillate up and down between being very frustrated, depending on other things. 
and not being that frustrated with the people just because I've kind of made a lot more peace with it. If you didn't know me 10 years ago, well, I was crazy. I was, I was so pissed about but how the, can these people not figure it out? The I mean, stakes are so high now. They are. Like I, I think back at Harry Brown's How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, the book he wrote. And I remember uh-huh. at the time reading it and thinking – you know, this is a great way to just carve out your own life. Maybe I, you know, and I think to myself, you have to like not have kids and not care about mm-hmm. anything. You know, I, maybe that's not a great, you know, people who don't have kids do care, but I'm just saying you have to like really insulate yourself from caring about the world. And I, I almost, I even felt when I read that and I love him that you don't we kind of have some moral obligation like my mother makes fun of me God's up in his heaven you should just not worry so much I'm like yeah but did he put us here so that we could just wait to die and like <laughs> to hell with it all right I mean or are we here to actually try to defend because there is a really sinister plot afoot if you look at the event 201 guys who planned this and they're the same people World Economic Forum who are planning the Great Reset and it's not just 5G it's 5G with technology and biology merging that's what they say they want I mean this is Maybe we can just relax, Binkley one. But did you have a comment on that? I know that was something that was interesting to you. Yeah. I think a challenge is that we're all living in Plato's cave. And there is a light that is shining out from it out from the outside into that cave. And people will seek to find to follow that light and to exit the cave. And the people who control the information propagandists there are aware of that and they are aware that people will seek that light so they seek to intercept that journey to co-opt that journey out of the cave to shine artificial light to divert away from the actual light and to put them on a path of wokeness that they believe they're waking up when in reality this artificial light that they have co-opted and this journey they've co-opted is just leading them deeper and deeper into that cave under the guise of believing that they are walking out of it if that makes sense. It's intercepting the journey out of the cave to lead people deeper into that cave. So certainly, it's certainly going on in, at some level. For me, I just think the, the most difficult thing for most people to believe is that there are people who are so, so different than them. You know, they're just so, so different than them. They're, these are people who, who truly... They can never get enough, <laughs> no amount of power, no amount of money, no amount of control. Their motivations are completely different than the vast majority of people who just kind of want to be left alone to the most part. You know, maybe they want to tell their kids what to do with their friends or something, or, you know, but they don't, they don't have any interest in, in ruling the world. They're certainly not willing to kill people and torture people in order to get that power. And so they just have a very difficult time believing that someone who can appear on television or see a news store, oh, there's just a nice old guy and he's, you know, he's, he's, he just cares about me. Maybe he's a little misdirected. They just can't wrap their mind around the fact that there are people out there who are child molesters. There's people out there who kill dogs and stomp on their heads and would have absolutely no problem burning your house down with you in it. They, they have... There are people like that out there, and there are a lot of them who are in very, very high positions of power. That's well, just I, something people cannot accept. And they, But they will accept 
the pictures that are painted in the past. And I think of Klaus Schwab, who's the World Economic Forum guy. I don't I don't know if he's the guy or if he's just the face. I don't really know. But it reminds me the way I think of what he's doing with the World Economic Forum, which is very shiny, has chrome and neon. You know, I think of it. That's how I think of it. It's like he wants the whole world to look like an international airport terminal in Europe, you know, and that, you know what I mean? Just like very clean and white and, you know, whatever, shiny. But I, the way I think of it is kind of how we're told about Hitler. Hitler had this vision of kind of a sanitized world and he was willing to kill a lot of people to get that thing, which is not an okay thing to do. But I feel like that's exactly what these people are are envisioning and what you're saying about yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't hesitate at anything it's this non-morality that they think of it's like from the report from iron mountain or what brzezinski said where it's they're disconnected it's an elite disconnected from any kind of traditional morals and i think of this guy as having a vision which he calls the fourth industrial revolution he has this vision and it's a very clean and shiny and orderly vision and if you have to crack some eggs you know you have to crack some eggs and that's okay. And anyone who stands in the way will be dealt with. I mean, that is the sense I get from them. And I think it's a godlike thing. I think they can never get enough, but they have this vision and they feel the only way to satisfy their self image is to implement this vision. Yeah. I mean, I can never know what's in their mind, but I agree that they have, they just have these grandiose plans and images of themselves such that nothing's ever enough. But, you know, our history books are constantly filled with uh, sort of self-aggrandizing people. Alexander the Great. I mean, what kind of person decides he wants to conquer the world? I mean, what kind of a what kind of a narcissistic nut job is that? But he's presented to people as though he's this fantastic character. And all of these great big giant suppose kings and stuff that expand out and victorious this and crap. It's all sanitized. You know, you're not you're not seeing the guy getting his arm chopped off and head stomped on in the field by the thousands and thousands and all the people who are being left with no father and lost their husband and their homes are burned down. You know, you don't see any of that. You just hear about the the glory and the amazing this and that and the expansion of the kingdom. It's and, you know, they, they teach everybody in those kinds of words, and they have in the movie, too. They have it in TV shows. Everything's this sanitized version, and the individual's never seen. It's, it's no different than why people believe in these absurd sort of liberal economic theories. It's the broken window. The people don't see all of the things that would have been there had the window not been broken and fixed. And it's the same thing. You don't see everything that would have existed. These guys hadn't rolled through and, and <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and changed society. And they just pitch them as these great heroes. And I think a lot of people just can't accept that there are people who actually do it. To your point, Mark, <coughs> They do seek out, and we heard some of that in the World Economic Forum from supervillain Klaus Schwab, who is a literal supervillain. If you look and, and listen to him, he looks like one. Yeah, if you the way watch he our sits, he's just videos you think that the floor is going to open up and, and a globe's going to rise up. It's like just, he was they the mini me guy who's the Austin <laughs> Powers was you couldn't model better supervillain. Yeah, and Doctor Evil. This merging yes, with exactly, technology and five G, and the promise of of a superhuman type of 
existence is something that that they pursue that a lot, most people have never even heard of transhumanism. Right. right. Oh, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you something, legal man, about this. May I? Was that a question, Pinkley? No, I, I was just commenting. I was connecting yeah. that to what you were saying earlier. Yeah, this, this I, I want to, I did want to hit on something a little bit outside mm-hmm. of the pure current events kind of thing in sure. that I did get the Forbidden Archaeology book that you recommended. Oh, yeah. And I've already read a couple of hundred pages. It's really, really great. Totally <laughs> gripping. And it was different from what I expected. I expected it to be like the forbidden history stuff about aliens and that kind of thing. But it's really, it was so well documented. You're absolutely right about all these finds, all these archaeological finds that completely disrupt the timeline that we're told. And it went right hand in hand with many articles that have come and gone, just flashed across the screen, never to be heard of again, but I made mental notes of them, where they say, well, oh, we thought this was another subspecies of human beings, but ends up that was just somebody who had like big eyebrows and it's really the exact same person and every one of these things disrupted my idea of what their story their narrative of like evolution of human being was because there's really no missing link and this guy said that there was evidence of the kind of modern man possibly millions of years ago which (laughs) really speaks to the fact that to the possibility which i think is true that human beings are truly distinct from animals in a really significant way. And, uh, and I just, that just blew my mind and I can give you questions, but I'd like to hear, you know, what you're thinking. Yeah. Well, excuse me. The, uh, the book is fascinating. And I do think that there's an awful lot of, like I said, you only need, it only takes one of those items to completely blow up. The narrative, just if one of them's true, and he's just got example after example, and you know, for me, there's clearly there's a there's a substantive material difference between the way people are and the way animals are at a certain level. Now, animals have an incredible amount of different sort of abilities. We seem to, I suspect, we have, but we have lost and or have lost the ability to use because we're we live so detached from nature. But yeah, I think that that clearly there's something very special about people, their ability to reason. There's all sorts of theories. I've read esoteric theories that are, I think, pretty interesting. And I tend to suspect they're probably pretty right. But, you know, I was going to ask you that. What's an example? What's well, an example of something that you think makes sense? I, I'm not asking you to, to stake mm-hmm. your claim, but I just like give me an example and expand my mind a little bit so I can mull it over. Okay. Well, there's a book. It's called The History and Power of Mind, and it was written by Richard Ingalls. And the thing I like about him is he still doesn't have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> he was a lawyer and he was an occultist and he was married to an occultist. And after, and they just both disappeared kind of like, uh, Yuri Bezmenov just kind of disappeared one day, but his book was fascinating. He he ran an occult school in the West for about seven or eight years before World War One, and and you know people will read the book, uh, a bunch of kookery, whatever. I, I think there's there's the, the generalized explanation is that you have in effect two kinds of minds, and the biblical story of 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 the the Nephilim, the the, the large the large people mating with the females was this sort of allegorical tale of once humans had evolved sufficiently in their minds, then the di- a very different kind of mind that, a, that had 
been evolving in a subjective plane joined with them and that's your intuition sort of joining with your rational fear mind and the entire sort of game being here as a human is to get control over that fear mind it's i i liken it to being abused as a child in an alcoholic home or something where you'd be terrorized by it completely terrorized by it at all times and people just live in so much animal fear and the, and the idea is that you have to be able to overcome that with a higher mind and once you do then you can control your rational mind and it's the joining of those two things together the animals are there there's people out there that also don't have that and you join them together and then you have a much higher level person who then has to go on and evolve I think all the religious texts, If after I read the theory and looked at it, it's, again, another reason why I believe in a lot of that occult theory, is that it made sense. It's like, oh, okay, he, he has a very another book where he explains uh, the sort of opening chapter of uh, Genesis and rewrites it as an occult. It's just like, oh, okay, well, that actually makes a lot more sense now. And uh, same thing with the New Testament and the way what Jesus actually said, because I studied the New Testament very, very carefully for four or five years and went to church and, and I really studied a lot. And and these they never and never ever never really just made sense to me. And that was that, that sort of central problem I always have until I got this piece and this occult piece. And it's like, okay, I'm not saying it's a perfect piece. I'm not saying it gives me every answer, but wow, it really brought it together a lot more for me to think, okay, that's at least a rational framework that I can I can start to live with. And so that's kind of where I am on it. Do you think that this higher mind can exist outside the physical earthly body? Is it I, I this is the question I always like try to answer for myself. Is there an afterlife where you know your own name? Yeah. Well I, I do think that there's that the the physical body is is certainly just it's just one thing and it, it's here and then it goes away and your mind is certainly not attached to your physical body it feels like it is uh, in a lot of ways but if you sit down and you do these sort of very interesting uh very it, it, they have it, it's this thing called satsang that they do in the far east uh, mostly in india and you sit around and you do these things where you just try to look inward and you ask yourself these very simple fundamental questions you know who am i and what am I in effect? And if you'll do that, if you sit there and think about it each time, you realize really there's something looking inside, seeing my mind. And there's something seeing that mind, like those little Russian dolls. And that's why that sort of Indian theory is that everything is in effect the same thing and nothing. And it's becoming many and what was nothing has became many and is now becoming one again all these sort of allegorical things yes my bottom line is i think that the individual is probably in effect a type of illusion ultimately doesn't matter when it comes down to living your life as a practical matter for 99.99999 percent of people they're not going to give a crap they're going to say legal man you're not who cares i still go pay my taxes still gonna go to work mm -hmm. this is this is not a discussion of what you do as a practical matter how do you make money how do you do it's just a it's just a more of a theoretical intellectual conversation about what actually am i <laughs> what am yeah. I? Am, am I my mind? Am I my body? Am I my mind body? Am I a spirit? Am I something else? Do I float around afterwards? What actually is it? And 
they approach it in a very scientific fashion. I know people see them, they put something, they think they're snake charmers and they, they think they're goofballs, but actually the, they, you know, they're the, the guy they base it on Shiva from 70, 80,000 years ago, a very interesting story he was, but you know, he, he was very scientific about it and all of their stuff is very scientific. It's not something that they ask you to accept and believe. That's not even close. They demand you experience and you can't move on. And so it's not a matter of believing. You have to find the truth yourself and they go about well, it in a very yeah. scientific way. I was thinking, I have never found a, a an explanation from science that explains consciousness you know they say well your brain is just, your consciousness is your brain but the like, consciousness itself cannot be explained simply by the like physiology of the brain i think and then right. also when i was reading yoga i took you know, i was like pra doing yoga like for exercise and i thought man somebody really cracked the code on the body let me look into this and i mm -hmm. oh, well i was so surprised to discover it was a spiritual thing i started reading right. the yoga sutras and it was so interesting. And then I, I also was trying to figure out, have we made any progress on the question of the existence of God since the Greeks? And really, like scientifically, I would say no, except for that some of the tenets like life cannot come from non-life, order cannot come from chaos kind of supports the whole thing. Quantum theory supports free will. But the one thing I took away from the yoga, um, the actual reading the stuff was uh, from a Swami, Swami Sachi Jananda, it, that the question of the existence of God is both unanswerable and irrelevant because the answer for happiness or fulfillment here is the same as it as we are told it would be if you were preparing for the afterlife which is to free yourself from the material desires that torture you anyway so it's kind of funny that i feel like that it's maybe gnostic or something like where you actually the answer the answer you need to the extent that you need it in this context is there for you to just find from self-examination. But I don't know. That's Lev Binkley. You have something on that too, right? Socrates in the story, Plato's story of his death, I'm not going to recount it because I won't do it justice, but it, I recommend reading it for anybody who wants to explore that question. He talks a, a, a lot of the elements that both you guys have mentioned in the, the self-reflection of the, the living up to your greatest potential when it comes to your mind in order to transpose into something greater once you die and uh, for Plato, for Socrates, go live with the gods, the, the intellectual gods in the sky or whatever. It's a mind expanding story uh, for those who haven't read it. And I highly recommend it because it's his Socrates talking on the existence of God. It's just, I mean, it'll change your life. I haven't read it. I'm so interested. I, th I think I started to just see if he got a real answer for me. What did you did? Yeah, he's got it? an answer. Okay. He, he, his, his journey is to is to transform or to go up into that higher being that's what he is living his life for his intellectual life for his trying to be his best self mentally and cognitively um his mind he's all about you live the right life you get your mind as sharp as it can be and we see the way that he does that and then you go on to this next life to live with those you get this reward from doing this I've actually wondered if that is the purpose, is that this life is just such a struggle and such a, it's bewildering. And then maybe that's because when you have got, you know, when you've completed the journey, 
then you're done here. So nobody's here anymore who's really figured it all out and that you're preparing for that, yeah. you know, that transformation. I don't know. Now we're getting out of even my realm of having reflected. <laughs> well, I'll just say a couple of things real quick about that, even though it's an extremely esoteric topic. There's, there's a big distinction between the Western schools of occultism and Eastern schools of occultism. You guys were just, in effect, touching on it. The Western schools are much more about um, sort of perfecting your sort of individuality, your sort of mind system where you become a greater and greater mind and then you move on. And then the East, they have those theories, but those are lesser theories. They, they consider that to be a lower goal. That The higher goal is actually to dissolve yourself and to realize that you're not actually this individual. There's actually a level beyond that. And so I'm not ready for that, man. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's a very, it's, no way. it's a fast, I, I think, if, like, again, if you put a gun to my cat's head, I'd say, yes, the Eastern school's right. But it's a very difficult one for me to accept because you, you, you're forced, your life becomes, it becomes very challenging to, to find motivation, to find, goals to find it's just it's confusing to somebody like me who was raised in such a western sort of yes, mind i think it's it might very be, difficult to let it drop i think very it might difficult. be intergenerational <laughs> the way you were saying it is for what about people who don't have to think about making a living you can't think of how they view the right. world and their role. And I think that's what I thought with yoga. I, I actually tried to adopt some of the principles like don't worry about stuff anymore. And I'm telling you, I forgot to make my kids <laughs> lunch. I mixed, missed planes, you know, right. I would take pleasure in washing the dishes, but it would take me two hours because like every dish I'd be like, wow, look at that. So, <laughs> well, it's not I really, like that's way- not really what they say. It, it, that's again, that's, <laughs> It's why it's it's a very subtle distinction. It's not that you give up and stop worrying about what's going on in the world. You have a perspective shift is what occurs. That's how it's described. Now, I'm not claiming I've experienced. I'm claiming I'm just trying to intellectually explain that it's not that you become uninterested in those things. And that's why it's difficult for someone like, like me to do, because that's where I come from. I am my mind in my own head. I am my mind. You know, that's what I am. I grew up with it. But the, their tradition in the East was that there was no education at all for children until they were 12 years old. They, they just let the kids play and have fun while they basically had magical thinking. And they worked on their identity as opposed to having them identify as an individual, as a self, as this sort of unique thing. They they always worked exclusively on their on their identity as a much more universal consciousness as an identity, and in the West it's completely the opposite. We're instantaneously put into this all competitive systems when we're young and everything else. And I, I think to your point that it's very very difficult for a Western mind to break away once you've been hardened to that individualized identity. It's very very difficult to. Uh, to expand it back out. It's, it's very, very difficult. And, you know, I spend an awful lot of time working on that project. I'd, I'd say I spend way more time working on these projects than I do on any conspiracy theories in the last five years. But uh, it's it's ultimately everybody thinks that sounds like conspiracy theory crap anyway, because <laughs> it's so far out there. <laughs> it sounds like individualism versus collectivism in the afterlife as well. There's a show. It's not a great show. I don't know that I would recommend it, but it's called (laughs) The 100. It's a CW show. And in one of the later seasons, 
they talk of they're they're on a journey towards ascension and the idea of ascension on that show is that I don't know if they die in the show. They don't really die. They just kind of morph into light and then they all go up and they become part of one collective consciousness where they can all feel and think like each other. And they're all essentially one in the collective and the individual is kind of like it's dissolved, as you were saying. Right. Yeah. Well, Leo, man, let me ask you. See, I found I concluded that it was not possible to have that kind of, and obviously, as you point out, I don't fully understand it, and I got that for sure. I'm not insulted by that because I don't fully understand it, but I stopped even trying because I did conclude that it was not possible to have that mindset in this exact economic structure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And maybe I'm wrong, so if you correct me if I'm wrong, because if you're still working on it, that means that you don't think that. It's definitely not impossible. Like I said, it doesn't create a situation where you no longer do anything. It's a shift. A it's just a attitudinal shift. It's a it's a from what I can gather. That's the goal is that it's not that you don't continue. You do everything you need to do. And it just becomes much more effortless because you're not worried all the time about things. You just continue to do what you do. It doesn't mean you're no longer a, you know, a mom or a daughter or whatever it is. You, you do all the things and you can still enjoy the things. It's just you have a slight attitudinal shift. It's, it's not significantly different than watching the news and realizing that the news is all a load of crap. Well, everyone's watching the news. You can still, you can, but you just get something slightly different from it. And so I, I think for me, the goal is, is reasonable, but, um, you know, I, I think it's difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a hard one to overcome. I got to say, I've, I found a lot of parallels between the, the fact that so many things that were presented in in our regular sort of phenomenal life that we experience the news and the people and the education and the work and all that crap and what a load of crap it all is and how it's just fundamentally not true and i find it interesting that the images i have of who i am and what i am and what happens to me after and what all those things are also appear to be quite fundamentally untrue that i was taught in the west and what I was raised with. And I, I find it an interesting sort of ways they've coalesced into a truth seeking, which is what I do all the time anyway. And it's like, this is sort of like the final one that if I, if I can actually realize this one, if this one's experienced, if I can experience that one and realize, yes, it's not just something I can intellectually understand. It's something I can experience and know, just like I know the government is a piece of crap and does not have my best interest at heart. If I could know it as solidly as that, well, then that would really kind of be <laughs> the end of of the searching. <laughs> I think it you would know, be a very peaceful place. <laughs> I feel like there's a big barrier to that and not for you, but in general, why it's very hard to make that leap well, one, one thing is that I, I read Mother Teresa's Come Be My Light. And whatever you think about Mother Teresa, I don't know, but there, it really taught me something about the self. And that goes to like the yoga stuff where you have to really divorce yourself of self in order to accomplish the outer thing you need to do. In my case, raise kids. Like you really have to take yourself out of it. Even if it's like, I want my kid to be this, that's you. And you got to take yourself out of that. But I feel like if 
if if you've dedicated your life, I think this is what makes people kooky or committed to a path. Once you say you're 60 and you've done everything in your life to support a certain worldview, even if it's like the, the government's good or like this COVID thing, like you, it'll, it'll be very hard, I think, for people to abandon, to deal with the psychological fallout of realizing that your life is a lot. Like at some point, I think, you know, I think if there's a chance St. Peter might say, hey, you paid taxes to those murderers, you know, go to hell. And I'll be like, you know, you're right. I did think of that. (laughs) But it's scary to face that. And I think that's a big barrier to any kind of true uh, advancement. Well, no doubt. I mean, the biggest problem in in this sort of very extremely occult conversation we're having is that that the the big the big impediment is being willing to give up this idea of an individual and uh, that you are this individual thing because it feels like that's all there is. And uh, I, I don't profess to have made tremendous progress in the area. I just I was I've been quite compelled by the intellectual arguments they made um, that I believe for me it was it's worth continuing to pursue even though it's a very very difficult uh, thing but the people who've gotten there they say it's really not difficult that you're just putting the barriers up yourself because there's something holding Definitely. you back from wanting to know it and that's why I say that it's a very interesting sort of similarity between that and the people who don't want to wake up to the realities of the world. Maybe I'm just as much of a hypocrite. I don't want to wake up to the fact that I'm not really me. Legal man is just an illusion. I I think recognizing (laughs) the question is in itself the first step to the answer. But I I want to just circle back to a couple of um, more concrete things and then wrap it up with something I wanted to ask you about what you're up to in your work. So one thing I listened to a recent uh, story uh, show of yours and you pointed out that the system does not scale this government. And I heard, oh, maybe you know the guy's name. It was a, a professor who did this YouTube video. I, I spent an hour looking for it last night where he, he said <laughs> that about the Civil War. He was like, it doesn't scale. The system doesn't scale. And he made the same point you did. I doubt you have heard him. I, I'm sure it was independent. But it, where it's just like there were too many, there aren't enough representatives. And then I would say it just doesn't even scale geographically. Like regionally, right. government should be different. But that that the number of people represented by each representative do when the Constitution was written compared to what it is now, it's just clearly it's not, ludicrous. can't be the government that was envisioned. It's ludicrous. I mean, at what point does dilution of your supposed representation uh, become material. If you have a financial interest in a company and it's just five guys standing in a room, you're one of five guys, um, and you say, okay, look, you're willing to do it? Okay, we're, and, and so us five, and we're going to take votes, and we'll, I'll live by the majority of the vote. Okay, fair enough. And then one of the guys brings in 395 more people at gunpoint and says, oh, all these people are also going to vote now. Well, that's not reasonable. That's not what you've agreed to, but that's the equivalent dilution, and I'm being very, very conservative with the dilution you've experienced. If you've signed up for one vote out of five people 
to live with it on a small matter. And then I bring 395 more in and I say, and now we're also going to expand out yes, all the things that we're going to vote about. Yes. Now I can take your money. I can do like what? I didn't agree to you. This is right. crap. And that's why it does. You can't compare the two. They aren't the same. And in fact, my show on Thursday is going to be about another version of this, about the about the founders. I guess because so sick and tired of hearing about the founders. This situation we're in is in no way equivalent. At some point, when your representation keeps getting diluted down, it's beyond material. It's a breach. There's no longer anything close to legal representation. It just disappears at some point. And with 40,000 needed representatives compared to 435, that's just, I'm sorry, that's not arguable. Not not to mention that they're acting completely outside the bounds of that constitution and that's right on now, top of it anyway. right that's right. on top of it all on top right on top of it it's insane all the crazy stuff they do i don't even have to make the argument on that side we don't the dilution is too great it's under no circumstances can it exist you can't possibly have the representation they talked about nobody would run around fighting a war to have one representative out of <laughs> 750,000 people. That, Actually, idiotic. to tell you the truth, I wouldn't fight a war that allowed people to vote my rights away at all. Like well, of that's course, and the that's problem even is that it. the vote the vote is both <laughs> vote is both powerless and meaningless and incredibly powerful. Well, how about voting for somebody who if they win, they have no obligation to do anything they promised? That makes no sense. If they can make you promises to get elected and there's no consequence for them not keeping their promise, what's the point of the vote? I mean, I've made so many podcasts about the fact that the vote, the representation, it's it's all just total junk. It's just Barnum statements about liberty and the vote and the right and the founders and all this crap that when you actually look at it, it just falls apart. It doesn't mean that the founders didn't want freedom. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. There's no way to know. It's an impossible, pointless argument. The people today who want freedom need to come together and understand that the system we have can never work. It can never produce freedom. Barnum statements have been the the driving propaganda just since since the Revolutionary War, we, we've been yes. using the same ones under different right. guises. They never nailed down concrete definitions of, of them. During the Revolutionary War, the people that lived in the United States as we know it today, they did not – they saw both sides as being elites, and they were indifferent. They they just saw whoever won, they're just going to be under the control of a one elite right. or another set of elites. And a propaganda campaign was orchestrated. Benjamin Franklin, Sam, Samuel Adams, they were fantastic propagandists, and they won over enough of that public to fight that revolutionary war. They Originally, most of the people were indifferent. Right. Well, again, and, and I don't doubt that for one second. It's like, how hard is it to convince people to continue to wear a mask? Well, you've got all these idiots running around wearing masks. That's that's how easy it is. You don't need everybody. People don't realize how few people are involved in those battles. You know, they imagine now because they look around the country and you see these gigantic armies. This is a huge battle. And I think it was in Kentucky or Tennessee. I always look back to it because like some pivotal battle for control of this fort. But there was like 100 guys inside the fort. Total, 100. That was it. That was the big battle. <laughs> they had 100 guys in a fort and they had some Indians that came after them. And, you know, that's just it's a minor skirmish of nothing. But when people are not given the 
sort of details and have to confront the actual crazy facts like the 40,000 representatives that would be needed in Washington to even have the proportional <laughs> representation. Yeah. When someone's confronted with a fact like that, it, it has an impact. I mean, anybody can relate to the idea that there's a huge difference between 435 and 40,000. That's just, they aren't the same. And what do you say about it? It's just going to get worse as you get more people. It's just going to get worse. <laughs> it's just, no just way psychological it. at this point. The whole thing is psychological. And the fact that they are going to actually unroll, I think they're going to call it COVID-21. They're going to unroll another one. And the evidence before your eyes is not going to be any greater. So you're. it's just all of this is just psychological. And I absolutely think that people are, are willingly not looking at the truth for whatever reason. I do not know. But I was, this brings me to my final subject. I was very excited to hear about that you are putting out more content and that you're going to do a Patreon thing, especially because people can actually, if at the very highest level, get your personal opinion on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've started, I, just, I kind of reached a crossroads, decided I'm going to try to monetize the thing because I spent a lot of time on it. A lot of people like it. I have some other ideas for some interesting shows. But one of the things I put in there in that account was this idea that they'd be able to actually bump up and 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 get a consult with me for an hour. And having experienced huge amounts of people calling me over the years, one, most people don't know how to find a lawyer. Uh, they don't know what kind of lawyer they're looking for. They don't know what kind of advice they're getting. And, you know, I since I would never take their case, ever, I would not take their case, I, I don't have a conflict. And I don't know if people are going to be interested in it or not. Most people probably won't. But if they would take advantage of it, it would really be uh, a wise move on their part. They could probably save themselves a lot of time and trouble. But that was just something I decided to put in there. And I have another... I have some ideas. I have a couple of friends who are really, really knowledgeable, and I've known them a long time. And, you know, just like I know a lot about law, they know a lot about their areas. And I, I want to put some of those in. I want to have some conversations, just kind of like your show, where you actually have, you know, interesting people on there. I, I've got the opportunity to do some of that as well. And so I'm going to put it in there. It's not going to like I'm going to stop making my uh, Thursday show, and I'll put out some bonus shows periodically, but I'm going to start putting more stuff in behind the wall. And, uh, I'm sure people will be like, hey, well, screw you, legal man. <laughs> All this other stuff. There's, there's people who apparently think I'm just supposed to uh, just donate my life to uh, whatever cause they happen to like, <laughs> waking people up. I've been trying for years. A lot of people don't want to wake, just like Sadhguru says. They're pretending to sleep. And it's so cheap. I mean, come on. These people, these same people would complain about 10 bucks a month. They'll go out and blow money on all sorts of stuff. Hell, well, you can't even go to a bar and have a drink for 10 bucks. This is how I think about it, is that you actually have expertise and can speak from authority. What Binkley and I do, I feel like we just read the news and give you our best interpretation of what's going on. And it takes many hours a day. And everybody can't do it. But if everybody chips in and pays for one hour, you know, of our time, then everybody gets to appreciate it. But you actually bring a lot of expertise, which many people who do podcasts like us, whatever, I'm very nervous about speaking with confidence on things that for me are just my opinion from some research. But you do have some 
some professional expertise, if only just to give people the right direction, because they really are totally clueless. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt. I'm just saying. No, they are. I they really are totally I do. Clueless. It's a valuable, it's a valuable experience. And I mean, I actually went to a, a lawyer. I needed a lawyer once and the guy took my money. We went out to lunch, which I'm sure he charged me back. Really took a lot of money. I mean, one hour, right. uh, and it was probably two. And when the issue I had actually started becoming a problem, right, ends up that he was on retainer from the, for the other party. His right. firm was retained by the other party, so I had to find somebody else, <laughs> which cost me valuable time, and I had right. to pay him. I was absolutely right. still, I'm had still to pay him. that wasn't a furious. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Am I going to go sue the guy? I can't right, sue the guy. Yeah. Just talking to somebody about suing the guy would have cost me sure. more than it cost me. But I'm saying if you know right. somebody who can tell you the kind of lawyer you want to talk to or what, you know, if it's not even worth your effort, like that's a big one right. because a lot of stuff you ain't getting nowhere anyway. Yeah. And, and that's and that's it's really true. I mean, it seems like it's just I'm, I'm doing an infomercial for myself about it, but it's not. It's not. It's It's legitimate that, you know, people, they don't understand that. <clears throat> the vast majority of these types of things, that when people call me about other stuff, it's like, look, there's really no good legal solution to this. It doesn't mean there's not a theoretical legal solution. You go to right. a lawyer and you write a, you write a check, they're going to find ways to use that money up. And uh, and that's that's the difference is that most of the time, this, the way the system works, what people need is not really legal advice. And in typical fashion, uh, the Ferengis have made all these distinctions. What does that legal mean? Advice. <laughs> what does me? Ferengi mean? That's what does from that Star mean? Trek. I know it's yeah, from Star Trek, but Ferengi, what does he mean the by it? The have the rules of, of acquisition. Acquisition, yeah. People should go uh, look at the Ferengi rules of acquisition. It's, I just, it's just your hand way of I referring didn't watch, to the people who run things. I didn't watch Deep Space Four, Nine. Yeah. It's I'm a, a huge thing. Star Trek fan, but I had to yeah, I think Deep I got Space too busy. Nine, I think I got a real job. You can look it up. But He's always <laughs> running a scam. The concept is that if you give someone legal advice, in fact, the Texas Supreme Court gives has a little manual that they've put out that describes the difference between legal advice and advice and uh, information because clerk clerks and other people in the courts and the systems, they get asked questions all the time and they're not, they obviously can't give legal advice. But legal advice is really actually fairly limited. And that is advising, meaning suggesting a course of action to somebody, telling them what they should do under the circumstances. Well, that's really not something I would ever do for somebody unless they were really a longtime client. What people need is they need to understand the way the system's put together. They need to understand the way, the kinds of choices you're going to be put to and the upside and downside of those kinds of choices and where they really lead to and whether or not it's even worth starting to dump money into it. Yeah, and they're not. Yes. They're not intuitive. It's not no, those not. things are not intuitive At all. and they're, they're totally not logic. They're not <laughs> no. justice. Yeah, I mean I went to law school and I still when I had right. that legal problem, I was amazed. I was like, "Well, just do this and that'll demonstrate that, you know, this is the way it really <laughs> happened." And, and I did right. end up getting a really good lawyer and he was just like, "Do the exact opposite." And he was right. <laughs> right. I was like, "Really the exact opposite?" It's like, "Yes. Put your right. instincts when at you- the door." Right, because when you understand the way the system's really set up and what the system's actually set up to do, what a lot of people think is, oh, I'm going to get a lawyer, we're going to file a super good. <laughs> you know, the, people don't understand all the different po- problems you might have. So they can file a counterclaim against you. Well, now 
Now they got a counterclaim. Well, so what if it's junk? They can continue to pursue it. You can't dismiss your case, and and they, if they don't want to dismiss theirs, you'll still be in a lawsuit. There's there's a thousand little things that happen to people that aren't about legal advice. They need to understand the way the system works. And it's interesting because I, it's funny that it came up because I the, I'm actually going to release a bonus show tomorrow. It just sounds like it sounds like sound almost like a sham wow commercial, but I am. It, it happened to be on the same topic. <laughs> I'm I'm putting it out there because I'm giving people an idea idea of the way the system works and kind of a, a lot of the kinds of it's just an idea of the kind of stuff I've done in my past and how far different it is from what they might imagine the practice is like. And I hope totally. people like the shows because it gives them an it'll give them some insight into the fact that I started my career a certain way and went to different and did these multiple different things and all the crazy stuff I found in each one of the areas that are just it's so different than what I even imagined as a lawyer it would be when I got into it. And then certainly what someone who's a layman looking at it from the outside, getting fed stuff from media and news about what the law is all about and how it works. It's just so totally different. I mean, what it's is just your, so What different. is your Patreon called? Uh, it's, it's just patreon.com. It's just backslash the quash. So oh, it's the super quash. I was yeah. looking for legal man. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just the quash. It's in my show. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I see it, I see it. So, yeah, I was people looking just for put it. it in the quash. I, you know, the legal man, just, he's just my character. And, uh, uh, you know, the quash <laughs> is my show. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, maybe eventually legal man will be, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, everybody will find out who legal man is. I'm sure people can look it up easy enough. Yeah, this is good. It's got an air of mystery. I, I just use it's just, you know. I like it, but it's, I see it now. Yes, I'm going to check it out. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> quashed AF. I think that will be my level. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the tier I'm going to go to. That's the beauty. You just go in, you can do some <laughs> stuff if you want. And then if you want to bump up for a month, you can. And you bump back down. And, you know, and then, like I said, most people like everything, like we know in and you you know in media and social media and everything else, vast majority of the people are never going to be participants. They're always just going to be observers, and uh, they won't comment, they won't call, they won't do anything. And a lot of people won't ever join either. And you know, to the extent that's fine, that's fine. You know, everybody gets to make their own decisions. Well, and, uh, let's just hope that it's worth your while because there are sometimes yeah. when only uh, an episode of the Quash will really hit the spot. When you come in and you're pissed off at somebody, <laughs> you're like, see, exactly. Everybody knows I'm right. It's, I mean, sometimes it's like, a, it's like um, vicarious venting. I, I right. There's a place for it. It's very important. And it's the confidence. The other thing is, it's really fun. I'm going to do some shorter shows. You know, I try to keep the quash itself as a somewhat brandable item in that it's out in the public. And so when people go to listen to it, they kind of generally know what they're going to get. But, you know, inside there, I'm going to have some more freedom to do some shorter shows. I'm going to do some more news-driven kind of short pieces um, things like that, where I can do, I can do a quick thing, for, you know, that takes me five minutes or six minutes, and I can send it out to this, the members themselves, as opposed to having to sit down and actually do a show that's going to come out and have to kind of think about it in those format. I will have more flexibility inside there, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I'm going to be a member real soon now that I actually <laughs> found it, <laughs> so right. that's good. I'll and be number two. Yes, you and no, my mom. No. No. Uh, <laughs> you, you have a mom. 
too. Yes. yes. So <laughs> she sounds a lot like yours in a lot of ways to the extent that she's, I mean, I love my mom and I go see her fairly often. We have a lot of spirited discussions. And I think the quash has actually opened her mind to a lot of things that I've told her for 20 years. But, you know, I mean, when you have, it's a lot different when you sit down in a sort of formal format and you just listen to somebody like it is on the radio, which is what these podcasts like y'all show is. It's different. It's, it engages your mind in a different way. Uh, than, than it does just to have a conversation with somebody. It just does. Uh, what it is, I can't explain it, but it does engage it in a different way. Yeah, well, it's definitely working. You're getting the the people's gears moving in there, and it is always a huge pleasure to talk to you. You are really, boy, are you a fan favorite. You're, I guess everybody <laughs> feels that way. They really like a little longer format to get to know you, so you are always welcome on the show. And I do wish you luck in that endeavor, and we'll talk to you sometime after the election. And oh yeah, not that it, you know it, it'll be interesting to quibble about the details, but sure. I think the direction will be the same. However, whenever we get a result, we may not get one for yeah, right. Talk to you in February, <laughs> President Pelosi. Yes, it would be entertaining <laughs> for sure. I'd love to do that. It will. It will. Okay. Well, good luck, and I'll see you on Twitter, legal man. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Y'all have a nice day. See you later. You too.